WeChat Divorce. Hello, I'm Karen and I'm here with Catherine. And we have here today with us attorney Jessica Vanderkam. Jessica is a partner with Stuckert and Yates and has been there since 2010. She received her law degree from Penn State Dickinson School of Law in 2008 and her BA from Michigan State in 2005. Jessica has served as a law clerk to Bucks County Court of Common Pleas judges. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. <laughs> the Honorable David Heckler, the Honorable Wallace Bateman Jr., and Honorable Robert Old Baldy. During her time as a law clerk, she assisted the bench in all aspects of a variety of issues before the court, including those that arise from family law. Attorney Vanderkam was awarded the Pennsylvania Super Lawyers Rising Star Award in 2019. Congratulations, Thank Jessica. You. That's mm -hmm. awesome. That is awesome. And now you're running for judge, as if you don't have anything better to do. <laughs> How's that going? It's going well. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate that. And of yeah, so let's see. It's April 9th, so I've been running since early January for the Court of Common Pleas. Um, there are three vacancies this year on the court, and there's 10 candidates running, so it's been quite an experience. Um, yeah, so we're in the phase where we're out door knocking and uh, going to community events and meeting people, uh, shaking hands and kissing babies. <laughs> Love that. Love that. What is that experience like, door knocking? Uh, so depends on the time. So two weekends ago, we were knocking in the rain, so that was less oh, wow. than optimal. But uh, this past weekend was beautiful. So uh, people are out working in their yards and whatnot. But uh, I don't, it's like um, surprising, actually. You'll knock on a door, and someone will be very happy to see you. They'll say, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad a young woman is running for office, they don't even care what the office is. They're like, thank you. Thank you for running. Um, and then, you know, some people are like, it's Saturday afternoon. Please leave me alone. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. you know someone's in there and they're not going to answer the door no matter what. Right, right. right. You're just stuffing little pieces of campaign literature under your door. You wouldn't know that. <laughs> but I'm assuming you're talking to people. Yeah. What's yeah. first and foremost on their mind? Or are they even talking about family issues? I mean, that's what this podcast is about. Sure. Um, uh, so I would, it's sort of um, uncanny, actually, the number of meetings in particular, but also door knocks that uh, people are opening up about their own experiences in the court. So you know, I come to the door and I introduce myself and I say, uh, I'm an attorney, I'm a partner at a firm, and I, I run the family law practice where I'm at. And that seems to open a door for people. They're like, oh, I know what that means. I've been to court or I have this experience in a custody case or in a divorce case. Um, and it's been interesting hearing people's feedback. I haven't heard any positive feedback, unfortunately, about people's experiences because they're, uh, you know, those people are facing a lot of challenging situations. So uh, it's been, uh, yeah, I find myself reassuring people that uh, I'm running to try to change uh, the way things operate. I'm running to bring a fresh perspective 
uh, as a working mom, you know, I understand what families are going through. Um, and a, as a family law practitioner, I understand the issues that people are facing. Um, but it's just, you know, people say, oh, I had this terrible custody case or a terrible divorce case. Um, and, you know, it lasted four years and we didn't get any results out of it. Um, and I spent a lot of money and we got in front of a judge and, um, you know, we just didn't have any time to tell the judge our story. Right. And I say, yeah, that's not uncommon. Uh, our our court system is uh, really overburdened. They just do not have time to vet the types of issues that people think they have time to vet. Um, and so everyone walks away disappointed and frustrated and sometimes angry. Um, so I think that emotion's fairly universal and probably not specific to Bucks County, but because you're in Bucks County, you have the most experience there. But I'm I'm assuming the frustration could be a lot even with their attorneys. So how do you assure people and how could we help make this better? How could people make it better for themselves even? Sure. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It's not specific to Bucks County. I, I'm sure courts are overburdened with this everywhere. Uh, so the answer to that is preparation, really. And uh, managing expectations as to what you're going to get out of the process. So if you can walk in to this uh, situation knowing uh, what you need from a court or what you need from a lawyer to solve the problem you're having, you'll be in a lot better position. So if you walk in and you know, for example, in a divorce case, what the marital estate consists of, you know, what's the balance of the credit card accounts? How much do you have in the bank account as of the time that um, your husband moved out or you moved out? Uh, what's the value of your 401ks and um, profit sharing plans as of the time that you guys um, decided to split up? Uh, I think you're going to be really ahead of the game uh, when you head into court. You'll have all, all that homework done. You're not going to be you're going to be prepared for a decision instead of asking the court, like, hey, how can you fix my situation? Mm -hmm. um, you need to go in with bullet points. Like, these are the issues. This is the conflict. Uh, this is what we need you to fix. And the paperwork to support that. And the sure. paperwork to support it. Mm -hmm. So what's your experience? Do most people, when they're coming to you initially, are they coming to you fairly prepared both financially and as it relates to co-parenting their children. Do you feel most people have that um, information under their belt or not? I think with regard to custody, because it's less legal, people have a better sense of what they want when they walk in the door. So they're, they walk in and they say, you know, I want every other weekend or I want all week. So the kids have stability during the week when they go to school I think people have an easier time coming in with a plan in that regard. A more difficult time coming in with a plan with regard to divorce uh, because they just don't know what's up and what's down. Uh, they don't know what anything means. And so. And then they're trying to factor the emotions into all that. So, can I clarify for anyone else listening that might be a little confused when you say they come in? more easily with a plan for co-parenting. But when they come in for divorce, it's different. So isn't co-parenting plan part of the divorce? 
So what are you referring to? So people can have a co-parenting plan without getting divorced? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you could have a, a, a husband and a wife or even a boyfriend, a long-term boyfriend and girlfriend who have children together and they, you know, things aren't working. So they've divided and they need a co-parenting plan. They need a custody schedule. They need an agreement as to where their son or daughter is going to go to daycare or preschool or what sports they're going to play when they're in high school and what their schedule looks like. There's a lot of details um, that you can get into without ever divorcing. Uh, you know, you, I've had folks who've been separated for 18 years and they've never uh, divorced. That's certainly uh, out there. Uh, you don't have to do both at the same time. I usually describe it to clients as train tracks. You can be on the custody train track. You can be on the divorce train track. You can be on the child support and spousal support train track. You don't necessarily have to be operating all three trains at the same time. You can do a little bit of one and then skip over to another one. Um, a lot of times finances drive that. So if they want to right. spend their money on a custody fight rather than a divorce fight, that that's where they'll put their resources. They feel like, no, we can work out custody, but I don't know what these stock options mean. Then you focus more on the divorce train track. That's a good um, analogy. I like that. Yeah, you can use it, Catherine. I'm going to. Okay. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> Compliments of Jessica. Hopefully our next one of our next judges. <laughs> so when we do work with you, I'm going to conclude that it's very helpful for you, for clients to come in knowing what they have, what's marital, what's non-marital, and having all the data they need so that you can do your best work. Yeah, so the least efficient type of consultation between a new client and a lawyer is when they come in and we spend 60% of the time talking about the emotions of what's going on. Um, not that I mind doing that, but it's just inefficient. And then 40% of the time me saying, okay, well, what does your marital estate consist of? You, you know, what is the value of X, Y, and Z? What are your debts? How big is your mortgage balance? What's your mortgage payment? Um, you know, what are your insurance costs? If people don't have the answers to that, we've kind of not accomplished anything in that consultation. And so clients are going to leave with just this huge to-do list and not the feeling that they walked. The, that was the feeling they were trying to resolve when they came to my office. From you. Yeah. Right. And so when I just send them back out with more questions, I met, that's frustrating, I think, for them. And, and then I'm not in a position to be able to help, and that's frustrating for me. So I think to the extent that um, you can utilize a service such as the service you guys provide, where you can kind of package that all up and prepare people in advance, for, you know, these are the important issues that need to be sorted out before you spend money on an attorney. Yeah. Um, that's really to their benefits, much more efficient, both emotionally and financially for them uh, to handle it that way. Because it is, it is a truth that there is an emotional value to your financial decisions and also an emotional value to your financial portrait. That's not considered when you have to look at it as an attorney. But as the client comes, which is why they spend that 45 minutes going through explanations as to why certain things occurred in their marriage, financially speaking. 
So when we've created our financial portrait for our first phase here, it allows them to get that out. So when they're gathering their documentation, the emotional component component to the financials is exposed then. They feel like they're being heard because they can say, he has a retirement because I was the stay-at-home mom. Um, I only have 2000 in my IRA and he has 20000 or whatever the number is. They're explaining to us why that occurred. And when they go to you, they don't need feel the need to say that again, which is why you could do your best work. That you have the financial questions answered to the best of the ability at that time. Yeah. And, and I think it's helpful as well. Um, I, most of our clients, I'm going to say most of them, come in with bags and bags and bags of paper, and they don't know what's important and not important. And to be able to get to the meat of that and you know put some together and maybe they don't have all the information but for the information they do know at least they can let the attorney know this is what I have and then you, you know you can go from there and our clients feel really happy when they leave a consult with the attorneys because they go in with certain questions where they need clarity where they need legal advice and they're going in with this is what I have and I need to know legally what are my rights here mm-hmm. and then the attorneys are happy like you because you get to actually use your training and your knowledge to say, based on the information in front of me, this is what you can possibly look at. So then when they leave, they just feel like, okay, maybe I can move forward. Or maybe I should just stay married. Right. Which just makes for a happier positioning of both parties. And it doesn't have to start with them getting served that very lovely paper saying that we're serving you for divorce. And it gets the other spouse all upset without being ready, you know. Right. Yeah. I'm nodding my head a lot over here, which I'll make a record of seeing we're on a podcast, but I'm, <laughs> I'm shaking my head uh, up and down. I think you, you ladies are hitting the nail on the head. Uh, being able to know what you're going to get when you go to the attorney's office and be like, okay, we can put all these numbers on the board and it's a 50-50 case between husband and wife or a 60-40 case um, and what does that mean in dollars and cents? Like, you know, is his IRA going to be rolled over to me so I have retirement when I, you know, when I hit retirement age? Or um, how does it work? Like, if he is going to get a pension, like, how does? What are the mechanics of that? Then I can spend time talking to them about that instead of just trying to gather data as to, you know, does he have a profit sharing or a pension plan? And then if the answer is, I don't know, we're just not accomplishing it. We're just spinning our wheels. And I think the answer is, well, he worked here for X amount of years and there for X amount of years. And he may have worked here. That doesn't help. Right. That doesn't help anyone. But if, you know, they're able to kind of get through that in a setting where it's real data collecting. And the more efficient yeah. the process, I think if you, when you go door knocking, you wouldn't have heard so many stories. Mm-hmm. You know, they all say, I wish I would have known you five years ago, or they say that to us as well. You know, I wish I would have done this differently five years ago. And I think that's probably what you're hearing. And um, the system can only handle so much in a day, right? So if we can get everyone to be more efficient from the get go, they won't have to sit, I, sit in that courtroom or wait for somebody yeah. else to decide their fate. Yeah, I think that's frustration that I hear at the doors. Mm-hmm. And so I'm saying you can control your own destiny. You just need to do some due diligence. Like if you know that you're going to be heading towards divorce at the end of 2019, then you should be monitoring the mailbox and seeing what account statements come in. You should be 
um, you know, looking at emails to see what uh, banking account alerts are coming through so you know where the bank accounts are. Uh, you should be taking pictures of bank statements, uh, retirement account statements, tax returns. You should be preparing yourself so when the time comes, you don't come into one of our offices and say, I want to get divorced, now what? Um, there's a way for you to prepare for it so you don't find yourself caught up in a system that doesn't have time to address what you need to like fix it really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just don't want to be in that system and then throw money away thinking that that's going to solve your problems and then walk away with just spending a lot of money and not having any problems fixed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think a lot, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that when a client comes to you for divorce, you, in order to do discovery, you have to file the divorce complaint. It's not like you can do discovery and then file divorce, right? You have to have that docket number to create the ability to go get financial information from this, the other spouse. So essentially you have to declare war for lack of a better word, even if there's a chance of them reconciling you know, just with financial clarity or whatever. Yeah, if it's going to be a situation, just don't realize that. Sure. Yeah, if it's going to be a situation where it's not going to be amicable, uh-huh. then it's even more important to try to do your little uh-huh. private investigator work yeah. uh, to or see what financial clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to uh, have an idea of what's going on. Or you know, we have the cases where it is amicable, but people don't know what to make of what, uh-huh. um, and then it's still very important to sit down and talk to someone like you guys and say, well, what are the important data points? What do you need to know to put this package together for us so we can determine what's fair and what's not fair? Like, can you just put it on a board and say, this is how the breakdown looks like you can either agree or um, maybe negotiate a little bit and come off those numbers a little bit, or you can go to attorneys and go through the old fashioned process, which is you file a divorce complaint, you go through discovery, you do a document exchanges through attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to take a significant amount of time. And if someone doesn't turn over documents, then you go to court and you get a court order. Like the attorneys don't want to do that either. Like we don't want to get, we just want to help people move to the next step. Um, so it's really about data collection. I think that's the best uh, way people can control their destinies when it comes to divorce. And I think we can't have a full conversation about divorce unless we at least mention the family because divorce does come down to finances and kids. Catherine, you say that all the time. And I think a lot of couples, their emotions are just so raw that somehow and sometimes and most of the time the kids are kind of left holding the bag because parents initially aren't navigating that piece of it, aren't navigating the communication with their kids that well. So if you could send a message to all the parents out there who are thinking about divorce and there's children involved, what what would that message be? Yeah, the message I usually say to people, and I give this visual, um, sit down at your kitchen table with a note, like a legal pad or a pad of paper, and with your spouse, 
write a list of all of your assets, you know, everything that you have and put a value on it and all of your liabilities, all your credit card debts, your mortgage, everything that you have, put it all on one page and then say, do we agree on this? And then take the next page and say, okay, if we're going to divide this, like, what do we think is fair right here at the kitchen table before we go talk to attorneys or our best friends who have been through divorces um, or our mothers <laughs> uh, or our sisters, you know, sit down at the kitchen table and try to figure out where you're both at before you let everyone else kind of flood in and give you their opinions and see where you're at. And if you're, and then go and talk to people to make sure you're not being crazy. But uh, the best step, I think, is to try to have that line of communication first. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if you do have two or three kids together and you're going to, you know, be doing birthday parties and go into your children's marriages, your children's weddings and mm -hmm. um, having, you know, family get togethers, like, you need that relationship to sustain, to be able to get your family through. And that's what you care about the most. Mm -hmm. uh, so to be able to have that initial conversation or set of conversations is so important. Now, I know that's a little optimistic. Like some people might be listening and thinking, oh, <laughs> there's no shot we can do that. Um, and I, I get that. And that's why we have more litigious divorces. Um, but to the extent you can try to even have a part of that conversation uh, up front, you know, I think all of us in this room would encourage that to happen. Absolutely. I think that's why we get so excited about what we do, because even if we gather 80 percent of the information they need, we know that they're walking into your doors much more prepared than they would be otherwise. So if you can't sit down at the kitchen table, you can sit here and we can provide some sort of table for you to get the information mm -hmm. before it turns into something ugly, um, which is we get very motivated by that because anyone that walks out of this door has more clarity in whichever train track they want to take, which mm -hmm. you know I'll be using that because I love that. Um, so I know that fuels us. My question to you is when you're knocking on these doors and you're hearing all of these stories, does this further motivate you to really want to win this campaign and become a judge? And would your, are you telling us that your first change is that what you would like to see because you know the system could be working, but it's overloaded is to tell people to be more organized in their data collection and be prepared before you enter into the system. Yeah. So it's, it's two part, right? So I, I would love that message to get out to people because I think they'll be more satisfied if they know they can control their own destiny a little bit. Uh, when we're up in court, uh, there are a few judges who always have this phrase, uh, particularly in custody cases, where they say, you know, if, you, if we were in your house right now, you wouldn't let me pick out the color of your curtains or the color that you wanted to paint your living room wall, but you're asking me to decide where Jimmy sleeps every that. night wow. or, you know, whether chills. or not he plays basketball. Uh, so you don't want me, a judge, let's say, who's 70 years old and who has never met you and your family or your extended family or has any idea what's going on in your day-to-day -day life, what's best for your kids? Like, and that's always the message that the judges are trying to send, like knocking heads together. Like, come on, you guys can figure it out. Um, so I think 
as a uh, as a lawyer, I always try to pass that message along as well. Um, there's certainly just times that that won't work and you need judges to step in. Uh, I am excited about running for the position because I know I have a wide breadth of experience, particularly in family court, which is our second busiest division. And the court system just needs that right now. It's so backed up. If I file an emergency custody matter, I might not get people into court for two, three months. Wow. And that's for an emergency. Wow. So it's just, um, I'm excited about the prospect of being able to help um, get people decisions that they very, like so desperately need because they are at loggerheads and they need something to be able to move forward. Um, and I'm excited to get in there, too, and not just kick the can and say, well, let's see what you can do and come back in 60 days. Like, I think people need a mechanism for, no, I'm here. I need a decision and then deliver that because it's such a as an attorney who practices here. And I'm sure you guys see it. It's a vicious cycle if you're paying an attorney um, to get you into court and then you, you know, you take off of work all day or you arrange for childcare and you prepare for the hearing and you get there and then there's seven other cases on the list and then the court doesn't have time to hear you. And so they say, well, just keep working and come back later. And you're like, oh my God, this right. just cost me $6,000. Like, right. what am I going to do now? Right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited about trying to address that issue. And um, We are excited about that also, that. which is why it's so important for everyone to know the importance of having a family law attorney or an attorney experienced in family law to sit on the bench. Is that the right word? Yes. Yep. Not, I'm that not a political person. Exactly to sit on the right bench on. to make that decision because you have the experience and you can kind of read between the lines of certain things. And you, what I love about you is you bring a young perspective to it. It's a freshness, right? Um, so you're not set in your ways, as we want to say, um, like I may be, because I'm a lot older than you. No, just kidding. <laughs> but it's just, it's so important. So from someone who doesn't have political experience, I'm so happy that I even learned through um, this last few months that we didn't even have family law attorneys as judges all the time. Because yeah, so our judges are not dedicated to a certain, right. so it would be wonderful to have some judges dedicated to family law, um, because then they'll see, you know, the same, they'll see people coming in, like the a same case come in year after year, for example, um, and it won't be three different judges. And, you know, let's just be honest here, and I'm just the person listening, right, so I can say what I want to say. I'm sure you get familiar with different attorneys' tactics. I mean, I don't really know the whole system, but I'm familiar with some attorneys' tactics. So I'm hoping that as a judge, you can kind of see between the lines of that as well. They should be able to do that sure. and say this is call it for the BS that it might be or hold them accountable because that is very important to their clients who feel like they don't have a voice there and they feel like their attorney is God, basically, making the decision. So they need somebody who's going to be able to say, no, I'm making a decision today, like you said earlier. These, this couple paid $6,000 to be here for a decision. Mm -hmm. We need to do this. And so because you have the experience, I think you're in a better position to make that call, which would be so beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just thinking of an anecdote of 
I was representing uh, a woman who just needed to divide um, some retirement assets. And the husband had already agreed that he would do it. He signed the agreement to do it, but then he wasn't signing the paperwork to actually divide them. And so she, you know, she had to go through two or three steps just to get to court. And then, you know, the judge gave him another 30 days and he didn't sign it. And so we had to go to back to court again. It's just like an endless cycle. It's just like, no, like, it's, this is easy. You just have to sign it. Right. Like <laughs> sign it. There is sign it now. Here's the paper. Sign it. Okay. Have a nice day. Don't come back. The same thing for the support conferences. Maybe you can explain this a little bit. Um, you know, you show up and it, you get that letter and it says you have to bring your tax return. You have to bring whatever the documents are. And then one of the parties comes, usually the payer, and they don't have all those documents. Why is there not a decision right there? Well, we're running it on last year's, or we're taking this number, or we're we're imputing this number because you made us come here today. And there has to, so to wait another 30 days for someone who doesn't have the money to get a support check increase or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. is really not fair. Right. That, um, so just to explain uh, to listeners here in Bucks County, we have a system where everything is conferenced uh, before it goes to a judge. So what you're talking about happens a lot. People don't show up with their tax returns or their child care expense, proof of child care expenses. And so we're all sort of guessing as to what the numbers are. There are no real consequences, unfortunately, to that person, the payor who doesn't show up with that information. That's going to be up to people's attorneys. So if you're the payee, the lower income spouse, it's up to your attorney to say, no, I want him or her held at the higher number because they didn't follow the rules today um, and then stand firm on that. If that's where you want to stand firm, if that's the battle you want to fight, um, if you get up to the next level, say, I'm going to stand firm and then you're scheduled 30 days out before a judge, a judge needs to look at that differently. If the payor still doesn't come with their tax returns um, and doesn't have a plausible excuse then there should be a consequence to that. I agree. Uh, And sometimes that takes a little bit of time, and maybe that's the reason why that's not happening up there. Again, in support court, you're getting 40-odd cases listed every morning at 10 a.m. So it's why we always want our clients to go with an attorney for that exact reason, because they think we can handle it, and we say, well, what if they don't show up with the paperwork? Are you forceful enough to make them do something? This is why it is important, if you're pro se, even for a support conference, that you may want to engage and bring in an attorney to that, um, just to get yourself, right. your voice heard, basically. Right. And if you go without an attorney, that's okay, but you have to feel very confident that you're right. not going to be talked down. Like, no, i this is where I'm going to stand on this hill right here, even though it's uncomfortable and awkward. You know, he didn't bring his tax returns or she didn't bring in her tax returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I want to see a judge about that. Mm-hmm. And you certainly can do that. I would say, though, before you make that decision, you should be consulting uh, with somebody about what's a fair number. Because if you walk in and you've been told ahead of time a fair number is $2,000 a month, and you, uh, even though he or she didn't bring the tax returns and the number is uh, that you're getting from support, uh, the support office is, let's say, 1900 a month, then I would say don't stand on that hill mm-hmm. and fight mm-hmm. because it's just not worth it. 
right? So you should go in with as much knowledge as possible. And I know you gals do that. You run figures uh, for people. We do, but we always insist that they go with an attorney because even when attorneys tell them they can go by themselves, invariably there's one question, whether it's a doctor's bill or whether it's the extracurricular activities, it could be anything that they just don't know how to pivot and how to converse about in front of the conference officer. And then you know, they're kind of left holding the bag. So, well, but plus without, without, not to interrupt you, but I am <laughs> sorry, Fine. but without, to that point, with our processes that we put in place here, we know through our information gathering, whether they can stand on that hill strongly enough. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so with that knowledge, we know when we need to tell them you need to be forceful. And maybe yeah. I'm going to steal that analogy from you as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. That if you can't stand firmly on that hill, yeah. This is the reason why it, this is money well Even spent. Even if your attorney says go by yourself, yeah. I mean, we always say please have a consult ahead of time because they need to know what they need to know. So, well, we really appreciate working with you. We value working with you. Our clients have all benefited from working with you. So, Good. you know that you're an excellent attorney and would make an excellent judge. So although we're happy to have you as a judge, we'll be sad to leave you as as a referring attorney. (laughs) Well, it's all a long road between now and there. So here and uh, here and there. So there's a primary on May 21st here in Bucks County. And then uh, the field will be whittled down to six candidates and then a general election in November. So I, the way I look at it, um, I'll either continue to work with you ladies and uh, do good work here in Newtown, uh, or I'll be able to help a lot more people up in Doylestown. Well, there is no war. When you're a judge, we will be sending you many requests <laughs> that we need changes. <laughs> That's true. And if you're listening out there and you're not in Bucks County, but you would want to follow the process of running for judge just so that you have some kind of sense of how what it's like they can follow you what is your facebook page jessica oh i think it's uh vanderkam for judge if i recall correctly yeah, look her up um i'm sure it's quite the experience i've seen some of the posts and behind the scenes is very unique and interesting so thanks everybody for listening thank you thank you, thank you for coming. having me appreciate it all right and we'll talk to you all next time have a good day